I'm Kate King. And I'm Mavis Vandenberg. We're colleagues and executive leaders in a global nonprofit. Leading in conversation is our passion. We're excited about the transformative power of free-flowing conversations that generate new insights and open up possibilities for change. As we've begun to experiment with conversational leadership and seen it transform how we work in our organization, we've also found that it resonates with other leaders and they want to know more. This podcast is our response to that growing interest. Together and with guests, we want to explore how conversational leadership works on a daily basis in the workplace. and welcome to another episode of Leading in Conversation. Today we thought we'd do something a little bit different and answer some questions. As we've been doing quite a lot of talking and presenting recently in our organisation about conversational leadership at a couple of different events and as more people have been listening to our podcast, we're collecting quite a few excellent questions and uh, we thought we'd just take some time to tackle them today. Great. I wish we had the people themselves asking it yes. uh, and that we truly had a conversation and not just a sterile conversation between the two of us, but it'll have to do. Absolutely. That would be way more fun. Isn't it? We really enjoy it when people join us, but today it's just us. A bit boring, hey? Okay. So, Nailis, are you ready for the first question? Let's try. Is conversational leadership just another tool in a leader's toolbox or is it more than that? That's definitely more than that. It is a tool. It's actually a very useful tool, but it goes way beyond that. It is really about understanding how organizations work. This idea that an organization is a network of conversations and how change actually happens. It is embracing the idea that the conversation triggers the change, that the conversation in many ways is the change. It really contrasts the organization as a machine that you need to tinker with. And that is how traditionally organizations have been seen. And so if you really embrace this idea of organizations as networks of people who relate to each other, that's where decisions are being made in context, then conversational leadership is about joining that, about triggering those new ideas, etc. Yeah, I like to pair conversational leadership with co-creational conversational and co-creational leadership because I think therein is the difference it's not just about talking it's not about pulling out a participatory methods tool it's not just saying well now we're going to be conversational about this and talk more it's actually bringing in more people into discussion into a space where you need some direction to co-create a solution together and it's operating with that mindset uh, all the time rather than yeah, exactly. Quite a challenge because then broadening the network of decision makers and assuming that decisions are going to be made at every level of the organization. That's what conversational leadership is about. But that's also something that takes time and is hard to maintain. That's why we keep talking about it. And as we always say, we're not experts. We're still figuring this out as we go. Definitely. Okay, next question. Okay, after talking about what it really is, the question then comes up and somebody asked us that, what is actually new about this? What is new in conversational leadership compared to other approaches? 
a good question. I think for me, one of the biggest things is that the focus in conversational leadership is not on leaders, ironically. It's on the wisdom of all. Conversational leadership fits into that paradigm of post-heroic leadership. It's not just about a leader isolated, making a decision, even with a small group of other leaders at the top, but it's the word is heterarchical, not hierarchical. You want to get as many people involved as possible. And leaders and consultants are part of the process, not standing outside it, acting on the organization, you know, as you said, as a machine. Let me add to that, and I've said this before, it's kind of my hobby horse, but what I think is key to it is also that it really embraces the emergent nature of change. Mm-hmm. It really embraces this idea that organizations are always in movement and that setting a vision from the top doesn't work because it's always fluid. It embraces that fluidity and uses it actually as something really powerful by having more people involved in the whole decision-making process by freeing people up to make their own decisions and to look for novelty and to leverage that. Yeah, so instead of imposing a decision about where we are going in a process, you know, leaders imposing a decision, this is what we're aiming for everyone. It's like, what's the problem? Where do we want to go? And getting people together, getting the diversity in the room, creating conditions for novelty to emerge in conversation. Yeah, and really be okay with the idea that there is not one right answer or the right answer for now may not be the right answer in the future. Even a lot of the facilitated processes have in the past been or continue to often focus on getting the right answer or getting the best answer. Well, conversational leadership assumes that there is no best answer. There are lots of answers and some work better than others. And what works well now may not work well tomorrow. And it's that constant going with the flow of working it out in community. Mm -hmm. In fact, just yesterday, I was meeting with my team leaders and we're doing our FY23 planning and really trying to wrestle with, you know, what does this look like uh, emergent planning? doing this conversationally in an emergent way because you know we've made plans for the last couple of years and many of them didn't happen because of covid so how therefore do we now plan for the next year not knowing quite what will happen but i'm being okay with that i think we're all we're all becoming a little bit more comfortable with that emergent planning we'll start some things and see what happens see what emerges and i think that's quite new i think that still takes a lot of getting used to Yes, and that creates resistance as well. Although some of this, and I think it's good to point that out, this is not the unique domain of conversational leadership. The idea that you quickly change the fact that you bring in more people, all of these things are not in that sense unique. But I think conversational leadership brings those elements together in a coherent way of thinking that combines things in new ways. So another question we've had, Nalus, is what do you think makes a particular method conversational or not conversational? I like this one. Yeah, I like that too. It's a difficult question because there are so many different tools out there that use conversation. 
It's not black and white. Let me put it that way. There are a lot of methods that use conversation. You could call those conversational and you wouldn't be wrong. But I think what really is key for something to be truly conversational is that it pulls the wisdom from the whole group and doesn't assume an answer ahead of time, that it doesn't try to push the group into a certain direction, but that it's truly coming in without a predefined answer. And too often I've seen facilitative processes that are trying to get a group to buy in. Mm -hmm. And what makes a method truly conversational is when the answer is completely unknown going into it. You may have a suspicion of what might come out, but you, you just don't know. And you're, you're totally okay with that. And I think that is a key element in a method truly being conversational. Is there something also about the nature of the conversation? I think there is. So let's explore that together. Yeah. I mean, I was so with my team yesterday. I was leading a conversation about discussion about what are our big picture priorities going to be for our overall unit for the next three years it's something about the quality of conversation it's something about keeping the conversation free-flowing helping people to make associations so as the facilitator or leader in that situation I was very much trying to hold back to listen to make connections but not impose anything any sense making too prematurely and actually as a leader it felt a little bit sort of random and chaotic to me but by the time we got to the end, everyone was like, wow, that was a really significant conversation. That was so rich. And I was just like, oh, but I need some, I need some, I need some words to put in the plan. <laughs> We're not there yet. It was just a brainstorm, but it, there's a piece there about the quality, the flow, the sense making in a conversational process compared to non-conversational. Yeah. And I think that is really helpful. But there is another element in the nature of the conversation that it is focused on finding answers together. So it's not just a random conversation between friends. A conversational leadership conversation has to be focused on moving the organization or the group further mm. into a decision, into a new product, into new developments, into new understandings. It's not a random conversation. There's definitely an element of discernment in there. And actually what we did at the end of yesterday's meeting was said, okay, press pause on this. Let's all go away. Let's reflect. Let's see what else comes. Make notes on this between now and our next meeting. And then we'll pick it up again and then try to do some synthesis or sense making. But really being open to what is developing, what is emerging. And trying to pin that down at a certain point, but not too soon. Which actually leads us on to another question. You can try this one. How do decisions get made in a conversational leadership approach? Yeah, we often get asked this because mm. there's this fear that you get bogged down and no decisions get made or it gets way too slow. So how decisions get made is really important. And I think it is a key part of leadership to hold the group accountable for decision making at some point. You can do that in some kind of predetermined but flexible time frame where you say we've got to come to a decision at this point and you can say okay we're not there yet we need a little bit more time but it's not endlessly flexible so i think that is the role of leadership to either let the consensus emerge and basically say okay i think we've got a decision 
does that resonate with you? Exactly. Are you hearing what I'm saying, etc. So that the leader does kind of step in or the facilitator steps in and, and has a sense making role there to pull things out and say, well, this is what I'm hearing. Is this correct? Yes. Or even when it is still quite divergent and you need to come to a decision to propose something and say, okay, for now, I propose that we go with this, hold this lightly, revisit it if it turns out to be wrong, but is everyone okay moving ahead with this in the meantime? And I think that is an important aspect where you don't impose it, but you give it as the best answer for now that we can arrive at. Yeah, another thing that we came across when we were reading about dialogic processes was this idea of the conversation leading to what they call probes, which is a kind of decision-making. Say you gather together as a team and you've got a problem and you want to find different solutions. At the end of a conversational process, you might say, well, well, here's a couple of things we're going to try. As a leader, you give permission, you give budget, you open up gateways for people to then experiment with those probes. That's a form of decision-making and it's an emergent way. Let's try this out and see a pilot project or let's keep going down this road a little bit and see if this leads somewhere. And to me, that has all to do with this embrace of emergence. We don't know what the right answer is, but we've got to move forward with something and some things will work out, may work out for now, but not forever. And you constantly readjust. And so probes, tentative plans, tentative decisions are, I think, absolutely essential. It creates freedom for people to participate and to try things out, which I think we don't do often enough. And it may not be the perfect decision. I think the critical thing is that it's a good enough decision. This is something I came up against in my research coming from Ralph Stacey and colleagues. This sense of good enough in our strategic planning, we're just trying to pin everything down and and get everything just right. This really resonated with me because so much of the time we can't know what the future is going to hold. And I think as leaders, it's hard to embrace that not knowing. And sometimes we just need to settle for a good enough decision, not a perfect one. And then time and practice reveal whether that was the right decision or not and you make adjustments and that obviously takes humility to be willing to adjust and say actually you know that wasn't the right decision but here's what we've learned in the process and again this is not unique and it's good to keep pointing that out to conversational leadership i'm right now reading a book by carla johnson about innovation one of her things is there is not this one thing that will be the innovation you should come with 30 different ideas in your pocket. There are hundreds of them out there that could work. It's just finding them. And she has this method for finding them, which is very much also one of her methods is crowdsourced. And so just pointing out that there are overlaps with other ideas Mm. in the current management literature. Things like this don't come from nowhere. They develop because of a sea change in society or because of a change in our access to information or our ability to connect. We can do crowdsourcing now. We can do participatory things in a way that we couldn't do previously because we didn't have the internet, we didn't have Zoom, etc or even getting everyone in the room at the same room at the same time is difficult. Did we answer the question then? How do decisions get made in a conversational leadership approach? I think we we did. And collectively is probably a one-word answer. (laughs) How do decisions get made together? Collectively, tentatively, and holding it lightly, yeah. Another question that's come up is 
we have used in our organization participatory methods quite a lot already. What does this actually add when you talk about conversational leadership? Yeah, good question, actually. In SIL, because of the nature of our work with communities, we have already used participatory methods a lot. We have a lot of people who are very well trained in how to do this. And is conversational leadership something new? In a sense, no. I think the two share a philosophical basis in social constructionism, that together we create reality, we create understanding, we create meaning, as well as some of the principles that, you know, listening is very important, the quality of a conversation is very important, the power of language, narrative, stories, etc. I'd say that there are lots of participatory tools that you can use to facilitate conversations. And we've certainly used some of them. I think we've talked in the past about World Cafe, <laughs> Focus Conversation, uh, Appreciative Inquiry, others like that. And the Bush and Marshak book that I have added onto our resources page has a long list of different participatory methods that can be used. And you can Google that if that's new to you. What I think is also new in the way we've approached it recently is to take the facilitator more out of the central role. A lot of participatory methods are very facilitation heavy and yeah, the facilitator true. has everything sorted out ahead of time. It's like mm. a hub and spoke. The facilitator is the hub. Everything flows through that facilitator. Mm. Whereas I believe that what we're seeing in truly conversational leadership is the role of the facilitator is much less pronounced. It, we've called it a host. It's the idea that leadership flows to different parts of the organization, different people, and it doesn't have to be all neatly methodical and sorted out ahead of time. And I think that is a key part of conversational leadership that in traditional participatory methods is less in focus. Mm. And of course, we may be completely misrepresenting participatory methods here. So if you are a practitioner, please write and let us know. <laughs> okay, here's a bit of a fun one to end on then. Is conversational leadership just for extroverts and people who like talking? I love this. We are both extroverts, verbal processors, and we like talking. So we may be a little bit biased here. What do you think, Nailas? I wonder whether introverts wouldn't actually be better at it. Because, yes, extroverts love talking. But I think the key thing in conversational leadership is the listening part. Yes. And listening is so absolutely essential. I think a lot of introverts have this to contribute, that they listen well. They get all the different viewpoints. They don't come in with their ideas already sorted out, ready to roll. Yeah. The pitfall for an extrovert is that you're wanting to jump in and guide it, <laughs> and bring your wonderful idea out there. And actually, that's not what it's about at all. So I'm not sure that it's just for extroverts, actually. Introverts no. maybe. I agree. More qualified. I agree. I do. I think it's not about quantity of talking either, which we may be guilty of, but quality of conversation. It's an important distinction there. So no, it's not just for extroverts and people who like conversation, but it's probably a little bit easier for us. So again, love to hear comments and responses from people who are introverts and who mm -hmm. have participated in those kind of processes and share your thoughts. 
final question, which we're not going to answer now, is one that does come up a lot. And it comes up so much that we're actually going to devote a whole podcast episode and invite some friends and colleagues to join us for this one. This is, how does conversational leadership work in different cultural settings? We'll be setting up another podcast. Look out for that one. It's a critical question, as many of us work in multicultural environments with people from different cultures. How do we make it work across cultures when some people are more culturally inclined to speak up first and voice their own opinions and speak as individuals and others will hold back are thinking about how to honor and respect others in the room they're aware of things like age and seniority hierarchy and also for leaders in some cultures where leaders are really thought to be weak if they don't have the answer already on the tip of their tongues how do you use conversational leadership in that kind of environment without looking weak great Kate, that is a wonderful cliffhanger for a future conversation. <laughs> this, is, this is like an episode in a, uh, in a, in a series. Exactly. <laughs> and But we are hoping to do that in a way that we as two Westerners are not going to provide the answers. We need to do this in dialogue with actually people yes. from those yeah. cultures. Yeah. Otherwise, we're falling into the trap of answering for others. And I don't think we should do that. We're looking forward to see you next time on Leading in Conversation. It's fun to be with you all.